0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're continuing with our series um, on spiritual warfare. And uh, I believe it was three weeks ago, I was talking, I, I started talking to us about gates. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. If you, if you don't remember, you can, you can go back and listen to this. And I talked about the passage out of Matthew chapter 16. And uh, we're going to start with that tonight, and we're going to move through some things. And there are two areas of of warfare that we have in our lives. We have defensive warfare and offensive warfare. And before I get into that, um, let's go ahead and read Matthew 16, 13 through 19. And uh, it says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah. Just, just a side note. Isn't it interesting that the disciples said, "Walk with Jesus, they seen all these miracles, and when he, asked, when he asked them, you know, who do people say, say the Son of Man is, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. So they knew, people were, were, were figuring out who this, who this man was that they were walking with. And he said, and, um, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So he, sh- he shifted the, the question, not about, not about others, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it goes on, I believe. Maybe not. If it changes behind me, let me know. Oh, yeah, I did change. Oh, thank you very much, yeah. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, I want you to look at this for a moment, and the gates of hell, everyone say gates of hell, (laughs) shall not prevail against you. I will give you the keys, keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There is a lot in this passage, and I want to particularly focus on and continue looking at this area of gates. He said this, you are Peter, and I will build my rock, I will build my church, sorry, I'm having a hard time on tonight, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell Shall not prevail against you. I don't know if you've ever wondered what those gates were. And so we're going to continue talking about gates, and then I want to move on to another one that we will just have time to cover one tonight. But when Jesus was talking about gates here, he was speaking about something that's seen in Scripture often. And I just want to give you a recap because it's a very powerful principle that if you can get it, it can really help you in your life. Gates or doors in scriptures often speak of authority and access points. It makes sense, right? A gate is an access point. A door is an access point. So the gates of hell was a picture of a demonic area of the spirit world and it's a, it is an access point that things go in and things go out. And so the church's function also, according to the Scripture, was to be against this particular area of the gates of hell, of this demonic area, the influence of what Satan is doing, and to have authority to deal with these areas of darkness. And so gates and doors were often used as an, analog- an analogy in the Bible. Jesus said this. He said, I am the door. And if you want to be in, uh, in my sheepfold, you need to pass through the door. In other words, the door is him. So in him, Jesus calls himself a door. It's an access point into being in the sheepfold. Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open, then I will come in and have fellowship with him. So again, gates are access points. I stand at the door and I knock, and if you open, I will have fellowship. So a door, again, is talking about an access point, a something that will allow God to come in, Jesus to come in and dwell with you. So gates are an access point. The gates signify the authority in, uh, of a particular city. When you, when, you, when you come, as we've talked about before, hopefully this is bringing some memories back, when, uh, when someone is honored into a city, the mayor many times gives them a what? A what? A key to the city. And so in that key, is in the old times, is the key to the gate, which you could come and go as you choose. As the gates would open, you could unlock them, and you could walk in and do whatever you need to do. So it was a, it was a gesture of trust. So gates are the means by which enemies, in this particular passage, gain access to particular areas of our life. And how many know that there are access points in each of our lives that the enemy can gain? And so I'm going to cover them briefly. But the nature of a gate, it's not permanently fixed. It's not permanently set. It can go open or it can come closed. And so what causes the gates to open or close? Anyone remember? Human decision. So we can choose to open a gate and or we can choose to keep that gate closed. It is human decision. Many times, we, I don't know if you hear the old, the old jokes, someone do something wrong they just be like, oh, the devil made me do it. Actually, you chose to do it. You opened the gate. It was your choice. So the enemy is influencing, though, your gate. He's influencing these areas of decision in your life that if you allow him in, he will come in and rob things from you. Now, some people think, you know, some people, maybe the the thing is, you know, spiritual warfare. Why do we have to talk about the devil through a series? We we just need to talk about Jesus. I agree. Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. He's the the king of the universe. But I don't want to be ignorant of the schemes of the devil. And that's why you need to understand the totality of Scripture, just not the good parts we like to champion and high-five each other about. The reality is we are in a battle with a foe that wants to destroy you. Jesus was clear. He says, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you can have life and have life to the, to, to the fullest. He didn't say, I've come to have life, so don't worry about what Satan's doing. He didn't say that. He let us know what he was out to do. And so it's important for us as we, as, as Christians to equip and guard and gird ourselves with knowledge to be able to combat what the enemy is doing. And So these gates in our life are human decisions. Jesus said, if I stand at the door and knock, if any man will open. So it didn't say, if I stand at the door and knock, and if you don't answer, I'm going to kick it in. And you better, well, you know, hello, Jesus is home. It says, if any man will open it. So again, human decision, then I will come in. So the access point for the enemy is what? Human decision. It's a human choice. It's important to us to understand, especially in the spirit, spiritual warfare, finding access points gives us a place to point our prayers. It gives us a, a place to say, okay, wait a minute, Okay, what's really going on? And so... I want to move quickly so I can get to uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight. But this is a recap just because I believe it's very powerful. This was really revelation to me, and it's helped me many years of my life, and so I, I um, or a couple of years of my life, because I really didn't fully understand this until about a couple years ago that God really started um, showing me some things out of this. So the gate is a human choice. For an individual, it is this. It's what we allow. Also for corporate, for a corporate leadership, it it is what leaders allow. And we're going to talk, um, which is a relevant topic about rulers and authorities in the world. And what they allow actually affects a nation. That's why elections are a big deal. Because whoever is the leader is the is the leader and who God would had us established. But what that leader allows will affect Everyone else, it always runs and comes down. So the three different influences on the gate of choice, briefly on the on the gate of human choice, there is God. God is always trying to influence these gates. He's he is uh, he's bringing conviction. He's showing his love. He's revealing himself through his word, through the gospel, through the person of Jesus. He's giving understanding. He's he's trying to influence those gates of decision of. Of making you understand his way is the right way. The devil is also trying to influence your gates of decision. What you're going to allow. He does that through temptation. And also us. We are influencing those gates. Because the enemy deceives us and we make the decision to open or to close So God is moving on it. The enemy is moving on your gate, and the church for us—we're moving on the gate. So, but the church influences those gates by this: by praying. How many? You know how many? I don't know if you were able or not. But Monday night we had a prayer meeting. Prayer meeting for the election. We were praying that God's will would be done, and we were praying against the work of the enemy. What are we doing? We are praying on the gate of influence. We're praying on the gate of human decision as, as a nation. Also, you can influence these gates of of decision by preaching the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus. So the gates are access point and they're human decisions. And so we're going to look at two types. Actually, there's two types of warfare, as I already talked about. There's defensive warfare, which in Ephesians 6.13 says, having done everything, stand firm. So we stand, right? It's defensive. Standing firm, it's a defensive posture of spiritual warfare. So shut the gates. So this has to do with defensive, keeping things out. You picture a gate, and you're holding it, and the enemy's trying to get in, but you're not letting them. You're not, you're not having any of them. And so um, these, the four gates of defensive warfare, which we covered two of them, I'm going to hit them quickly, are one, thoughts. You can write that down. These are doors we want to keep shut, our thoughts. We want the Lord to determine our thoughts. And we talked about that we cast down every thought that is contrary to the, to the will and the word of God. Secondly is our attitudes. We talked about if we allow ourselves to have bad attitudes, that brings us into a place where the enemy begins to wreak havoc. How many, how many know that, that you, sometimes you just want to be a stinker? Sometimes you just want to just throw a fit and kick a can and, and holler a little bit and just, and just throw. And how many know after you do that, you never feel better? You think you will, but you never feel better. And so when we just, all of us, and what we do is we allow our, our flesh to win negative emotions, negative feelings. We have um, strife against one another. We are grumbly a lot. We walk into a room, we see everything that's wrong with it. Another person walks into the room, they see everything that's right with it. Which one would you rather be? We'd We'd rather be the person who can enjoy what God has versus always pointing out what people don't have or what I don't have. And so these are these thoughts. And so once you fall into this pattern of negative thoughts... Your life is miserable. And what happens when you're miserable? You have lost the purpose and the pr- whole plan of Jesus Christ is that you could have life and have it to the fullest. A person who is cranky, complaining all the time is not living life to the fullest. Matter of fact, they're probably living life like they probably don't have very many, very many friends. Because it's, it's, it's very difficult. So, so negative emotions robs from you what God wants for you, which is joy, peace, hope, life. All those good things. The third um, gate of defense, and remember, these things we want to keep shot. We want to, we want to hold them. We want to keep them submitted to Jesus Christ. There's our words. What we say with our mouth, we set things into motion. Jesus says what, um, remember the confession of, of faith by Peter. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, You're right. This is by the Spirit. But if if you keep on reading, then Jesus went on to say that he's going to have to go to the cross. He's going to have to die. And Peter says, No way, Jesus. No way. I'll never let that happen. This can't be. And Jesus, you know what? What did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me who? Satan. Now was he saying, Peter, you're demon possessed? No, he wasn't. But he was saying, Peter, your emotions are not aligned with the will of God because the will of God for me is to embrace the cross. So Jesus, again, he wasn't saying, Peter, you're you're demoniac. He's, he's saying, and actually, he was saying that he, Peter was being a stumbling, stumbling block to the purposes of God. And he didn't have the mind of God, but he only had the mind of man. It sounded good, but it was it was wrong, and those words that he spoke was the channel on which, which the enemy was influencing. The enemy didn't want Jesus to go to the cross because the cross destroyed the works of the enemy. So, it's words. Fourthly, the gates that we need to, we need to hold close. Actually, the ones even with words, there's a psalm that says that, God, I pr- I, that you would put a gate on my mouth. In other words, keep me from saying things I shouldn't be saying. Blessing and curse are in the tongue, and we can do that. Fourthly, the gate you want to keep closed is this relationships, meaning forgiveness. Harboring unforgiveness, open doors for the enemy to rob life from me. This is, this is a difficult one for most people, is that things happen. People hurt you. You're disappointed. Someone says something. Expectations are let down. If you forgive You close the gate to the enemy. I'm not going to let you come in my life. I'm not going to let you rule me. If you refuse to forgive, then you leave the gate open. It's a gate, a point of human decision that you can leave open, and the enemy can come in and destroy you. And God gives us, here's the other thing, God gives us the grace to do these things. God gives us the grace. You don't have to do this on your own. It's when, it's remember Paul, that Paul is, he was the super apostle. And I talk about Paul a lot, one, because I read the Bible a lot and I read the New Testament a lot and he wrote most of it. So um, I remember Paul, that he was suffering with the thorn in the flesh. And he had asked God, remove this from me. You ever ask God to remove something from you? I know all of us have. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So whatever it is, these, these defenses. You say, Jason, I, I don't know if I can control my thoughts. By God's grace and through the power of Jesus Christ, you can. I don't know if I can control my negative attitude. I would say this. You've probably allowed yourself to fall into a pattern. And that pattern has become, become such a, a habit for you that you're not able to break out of it. Well, then just come against it in the name of Jesus and begin to rewire your brain. And begin to be diligent about thinking differently. Our words, by the grace of God, he can help you put a gate. By the grace of God, he can help you control your attitudes. By the grace of God, he can help you forgive. So God gives you the grace to do these things. So this is about the ability to be defensive, to play defense. Just like when you play basketball on defense, you stand firm And you keep your opponent from making any progress. The Denver Broncos, their defense, for the most part, usually is really good. And so they keep the the enemy, their opponents, from scoring. So it holds them. Or in soccer, you have a goalie who stands at the goal. And he stops the other team from scoring. So think of that as defense. You are blocking, you are keeping so defensive spiritual warfare is fending off the attempts of the enemy against us. So we want to keep those doors shut. But that's not all there is to spiritual warfare. If you only play defense in a game, how many know you're going to have a problem? You're like, man, we're, we're the best defensive team in the world, so we, we stand there, we keep, we, we keep them from scoring, but you don't ever score. So we stand firm without, if, if, if we can't stand firm without going... And we can't go without standing firm. And so there is an offense that we're going to be talking about. So we're to move aggressively and offensively towards overcoming the fulfillment of God's kingdom on the earth through our lives. We're to move forward. So Ephesians 6.11 says, stand firm against. Stand firm against. That word against, it is a, an aggressive Action, to do something, not just to stand, but to lean in a little bit and push and to push through. So you stand firm and you push through. I can say I'm standing firm at that door. I'm standing firm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this door, but the door will be, won't be open unless I walk up to the door and push through it nothing's going to happen. So if I know I'm standing firm, God wants me to go through that door, God's saying, well, we'll then walk through the door. So we have to move forward. And so um, I want to talk to you about moving forward. So we have to do both to be effective. 2 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul says this, we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. So Paul was wanting to come, to minister, to, to share, to preach the gospel, to share the love of Jesus, to evangelize in the area. So he was aggressively going, but he encountered a closed door. So not only do we close doors, guess what? The enemy wants to close doors as well. And so Paul was aggressively, well, I wanted to come to you. We were on our way to you and, and Paul says again and again. So Paul's in a fight here. Something Satan is hindering him. So offensive warfare mostly has to do with others. And Paul continued to push. He continued to make it. Now, offensive warfare, and this is where this pertains relevantly to where we are as a nation now, has to do with society. It has to do with nations. It has to do with people groups, individuals, the broken, the lost, your family, the oppressed, the prisoner, the persecuted. This is offensive. This is offensive that we're we're moving forward. Offensive warfare. Satan is the hinderer, but we are to pray open, closed doors and aggressively move through them. So, Defensive warfare, standing firm. Offensive warfare, aggressively going out against the enemy for the sake of others. And so we're going to continue in this. Because of the sake of time, um, based on our teaching on Ephesians 6, it, let me encourage you, go to it. You need to read Ephesians 6 um, and, uh, and and just read through this. But we've been talking... Uh, in Ephesians 6 about this whole idea of spiritual warfare. Paul lays, out, lays it out beautifully. He's writing this letter from prison. He's saying basically a, a Christian is like a Roman soldier. Remember, that's what he writes. He said, so put the full armor of God on. So there's getting ready for battle, to get ready for battle. and So we're going to be talking about this whole idea of, um, of the gates will not prevail. And so we, we just talked about shutting gates, defensive great gates, but, but also what's important is we move gates. So opening gates. Everyone say opening gates. So we're going to open some gates, particularly one talking about through the area of warfare, through prayer and action. So this is not about me. This is not about you shutting gates in your life. This is about those people out there. This is about society. This is our role in society. Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail. He said the church of Jesus Christ is going to continually move forward. So it will not be intimidated, will not be pushed back by the enemy. The church is going to move forward, meaning it's aggressive, it's, we're, it's, it's offensive. We're on the offense. And so the, the biblical basis is for the offensive action is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. In other words, get to nations and begin to push things over and, and open. To do this more effectively, we're gonna to have to remove barriers though that would hinder the impact of the gospel, or whether it's in your neighborhood, or whether it's it's the area at your workplace. So if God calls you to a nation, the reality is the enemy's gonna to try to hinder you. If God calls you to, I don't know if you've ever done this before, you felt like God had laid on your heart to 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 begin to reach out to a neighbor or to a co-worker. Well, all of a sudden it's like usually you're alone with them in the break room or, or you get an opportunity and every time you see them the phone rings or the dog barks or the or whatever the tree falls and you're like what in the world is going on why can't I share what I want to share why can I witness to them why can I I love them the way that I feel like God has pr- prompted me to do so because the enemy is at work and so so things are being hindered by the enemy. Many times you hear these stories of missionaries, they feel called to a nation and then they they apply for their visa and their visa gets lost somewhere. They can't go there anymore. And so they have to work and pray and they have prayer meetings and all of a sudden something breaks through and it just happens. Well, the enemy's going to try to do his best. So Paul was hindered by Satan from going and preaching the gospel which we just read. Paul said, pray, though, he said this, pray that I will be given an open door. So how do we effectively pray offensively so we can have a greater impact onto society? First, we need to find the door that allows us to have the most impact. So it's easy to pray general prayers, and that's nice, we can pray that. But the more specific you pray, the more faith is exercised. So even if we're praying, I pray often for you, I pray often for our congregation, but I, if I say, Lord, I pray that you would bless our people, that's a great prayer, nothing wrong with that. But, but as I begin to pray, and I begin to see that, that, that there are many marriages in our congregation that are struggling, and I begin to pray more, God, I pray right now that you would begin to restore broken marriages. And then as I pray a little further, I begin to pray, God, I pray that you would would bind the work of the enemy that is trying to bring temptation into that that woman's life or into that man's life. And then you get, Lord, I, I come against pornography that could be affecting that marriage in the name of Jesus. God may you blind his eyes. So as you, it's kind of like you have a 30,000 feet, you have a 15,000 feet. Then as you get a little closer, it requires more faith to be believing for more specific things. And so that's what prayer does. It, it offensively kind of leans in and begins to pray. So we want to find gates that give us the impact and influence for the sake of God's kingdom. So we're going to look at... Um, the gates in society that give us those, that greatest impact. And so the first gate I want to look at, actually this the only one we're going to look at tonight, is um, the, which is the gate of offensive warfare, is the gate of rulers, authorities, thrones, and dominions. All of these are the same. Rulers, authority, thrones, and dominions. Everyone says, you know what, I, I want to have an impact on the world. Well, are you praying for the rulers of the world? So many people say, I want our nation to be transformed and changed. Okay, that's awesome. I do too. Are you praying that God would change the hearts of our leaders? So there's the general prayers. But when you start praying specifically, you got to have a lot of faith. Because you see the leader and you think, pfft. Oh, there's no way they're going to ever be a follower of Jesus. There's no way they're ever going to change. But this is what we're going to talk about, influencing this gate of rulers. So Ephesians 6.12 says this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against what? Rulers, powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So this is what you and I are in warfare against. We are, it's, there's a world, forces of darkness. First of all, the devil is seeking rule. You know that, right? Do you know that the devil is seeking rule on the earth? He's seeking to try to... He wants authority over the nations. He wants to, to implement destruction, and he has a destructive plan for America. He does. He has a destructive plan for our nation. He's strategic about it, and he's going after it. But he's also going after the people within the nation. So if he's going after the people in the nations... Who's he going to attack first? He's going to attack the authority structures. He's going to attack the authority structures that are put into place by God. If you believe Romans 13, it says that all authorities are put into place by God. They're appointed. It actually says they're appointed by God. Which means God puts authority structures in place for people to bring structure. So whether you realize it or not, each of us are part of an authority structure. Just not in a nation like this. Like you have a marriage. In a marriage you have a husband and a wife. There's an authority structure. Scripture says the husband is the head of the home. He's to lead his family. Families have parents. Parents are supposed to lead their children. Children aren't supposed to lead their parents. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm just letting you know. Schools have teachers. Teachers are leading are the leaders of the students. Churches have elders, have pastors who lead the congregation. They, they lead decisions. Cities have mayors, police. Nations have leaders, government and citizens. So there's always this, this flow of leadership. Businesses have bosses, have workers, have CEOs. So we're, we're here today under the structure of a county, right? But a county isn't on its own. We're under the state. But the state isn't on its own. The state is under a national structure. And so everything on earth is an authoritative structure. So if you don't like authority, you're going to have a rough time in life. And you probably already have. If you're like, I don't like authority. Well, I'm sorry. That Well, it, you were born. You're in authority. You're under authority. That's just how it is. So if Satan is wanting to rule, he's going to strategically dismantle and influence the current structure of authority from the top down, because he wants to rule. He wants to implement his will, which is to steal, to kill, and destroy. Let me ask you this. How many have seen the enemy seek to influence marriage, attack marriage? Marriage. We've seen it. We've seen the enemy want to attack family and try to break down the model of family and the leadership in family. We've seen the enemy attack the educational system, the, the churches. Man, we hear it all the time of, of pastors and leaders falling, making, you know, stupid mistakes. What were you thinking? Well, they were under attack. Cities, commerce, government, and when you look at all these authority structures, it's like you can highlight them with just a crazy pen. They're just that's crazy, that's crazy. How could that ever happen? It's his strategy. It's his strategy to influence leaders and rulers. To rule his 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 desire is to rule over the authority and break down the walls and structures so it's vulnerable to him. Now, listen, we are not giving any glory to him whatsoever. There's no need to say, Jason, we're talking too much. Listen, I, I'm here to expose and pull the curtains back from, from the enemy so that you can understand and you can be prepared to pray, to do something, to let the church move forward, to point your prayers at our rulers and our leaders. It was such a powerful time on Monday when we gathered in a prayer chapel. And Saturday night we were just talking about it. It was just powerful praying specifically for, for, for the president to be praying, calling them out by name, praying that God would would save them, would change them, praying for our judges and, and and the people in Congress and Senate, and then praying for us as a congregation. It was awesome. And it felt as though we were like rocking heaven a little bit. It was great. And it was so powerful to do that. But that's the Lord's will, is to pray for that. So, This is the enemy's strategy to influence those areas, to break down the the walls of God's structure so it is vulnerable to him. And there's a great physical picture in the Old Testament of this. I know many of you have read the story about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was concerned because the people of God in Jerusalem were vulnerable to the enemy because what was broken down? The walls of protection had been torn down. So they were vulnerable. The enemy could come in and could do whatever he wanted, and they could leave because there was no resistance. There was no wall built up. Before they built, before they rebuilt homes within the city or rebuilt or, or, um, or even built a synagogue, or what did they do? They rebuilt the walls first. And so many times we want, to, we want to start building homes because we think that's progress. But if you step back, you'll realize, wait a minute, we need to rebuild the walls first. It's kind of like in, in, in any church. Like if a church, it, listen, we want growth and we want this and we want wonderful. But God says, hang on, do you have any holes in the wall? You need need to repair the wall. You need to repair the gate. You need to get down to the foundation. You need to make sure that that the house is in order before you start wanting to build homes in the middle of the city. So the wall was their covering. It was their authority. And so what's one of the main ways the enemy influences and tears down the walls of our authority structures? As I see this, you'll, you'll understand. How does the enemy do this in the spirit realm today? For one, he does it through um, ungodly leaders. What I mean by this is this if, if I do not husband according to God's word, I create a hole in the wall of my family. It's just reality, I do. Whether, whether my kids like it or not, if I, if I there are holes that I do not fill up and take care of as a husband and leader of my home, my wife and my children suffer because of that. That's how God made it. If I don't parent, if we don't parent according to God's principles, guess what? I create a hole in my children's protection. If if the police don't police according to God's principles, there is a hole created in our society. Things start to break down. If, if a president doesn't lead or president according to the truth of God, it creates holes and vulnerability in the nation. It's just how it is. If I don't pastor and if us as leaders in the church don't lead and pastor the way that God called us to, it creates holes in the walls. And people suffer. So ungodly leadership this is what we mean by, uh, by it leaves holes. Through un- Ungodly leadership leaves a hole in a wall. Think about it for a moment. I think all of you uh, would, would say amen to that. You realize that when ungodly leadership, is, it continues to be ungodly, make decisions. How many know that like, everything starts to fall apart? <clears throat> That's why the enemy is after, I want you to hear this for a moment, every leader. Every leader. That's why there's so much breakdown in authority because the enemy is attacking these authoritative structures that God has put into place to gain access through through those authority because he wants to rule them. When when leaders are ungodly, it allows the enemy in and breaks the walls down. That's what we saw with with, uh, Nehemiah. So everyone in this room has probably been hurt or has been failed by an authority figure. You just have. That's just it could have been a pastor, could have been a teacher, could have been a parent. All those things have happened. It was because of this. It was because the enemy was coming after to attack that covering and protection. Another thing that will break the walls down of authority structure is this neglect. Neglect by these, by the rulers. So if God can't make you ungodly, sorry, not of God, if the enemy doesn't tempt you to the place where you are ungodly, you fall into temptation, he will then tempt you to be be neglectful, not do your job, not follow through. You can be be a a great person, but if you don't do your job, then you're still going to be holes. Leaders neglect their responsibility. Husbands, again, don't husbands, or, or mothers don't mother, parents don't parent etc. So leaders who do not fulfill their responsibility in leading are negligent and create gaps in the structure they are leading. The third reason our walls get broken down is rebellion. Everyone say rebellion. This is important for us to understand this. Sometimes we sit around and we say, "Well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why is this happening in my life?" And well, the question is check your walls. Check your walls. Have you allowed things, which I'll talk about in just a sec, So, is rebellion. So this is a universal thing. In other words, everyone leans towards this one, rebellion. But this is what rebellion sounds like. Now don't raise your hand if you would say that sounds like me. Don't do that. I don't want to embarrass you. (laughs) Rebellion sounds like this. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what time to be there. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I'll do it if I want, but if I don't, I won't. Anyone slipping their hand up yet? Okay. Or this one. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't need accountability. I don't need accountability. I'm good. Or I just need the my, just my Bible and Jesus. I don't need anyone to oversee me. I'm okay. Just my Bible and Jesus. Just Just me and him. When we say we don't want anyone over us or need anyone, what we're saying is, I don't want any walls to protect me. That's what we're saying. And the purpose of walls, my friends, is to protect you. Hear what I'm about to say. Not to control you. There's a difference. Sometimes leaders forget that their role is to protect and not control as well. Again... It is the enemy influencing leader to take his, his or her position and pervert it. Now we know why Romans 13 says all authority is ordained of God. Not that people are always good, but that authority has an office and is ordained by God. For who? For you. For us. It is a hindrance. It is a wall. To that which is evil. That's what authority and rulers is. Authority structures are a hindrance to evil. Proper ones are a hindrance to evil. So we need to appreciate structure. Imagine this: the enemy, he, he, the Satan. The reason why he fell is because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be the ruler. He wanted to be the the head, the head cheese. He wanted to be the chief. And God's like, I don't think so. Because Satan wanted it to control. And for one, it wasn't God. God is a ruler who is benevolent, who is ruling to protect us, to infuse his goodness into us. So the enemy wants to influ- it, um, influence these areas. So we need to appreciate structure. So hopefully we leave here tonight and appreciate the structure. That's why we we work for good marriages. Because the, the institution of marriage is powerful because it's good and it brings protection to society. That's why we need to work for it. That's why we need to fight for it as a nation. That's why we need to understand church and the church government. And the elders that, that the leaders submit to. and just, I don't know if you know this, the structure of, of, our, of our church is we have elders. We, we have a, um, what we call a corporate board where there's a president and a vice president and a secretary and, and voting elders who vote on major, major decisions. We have elders who, who are leaders in our church who give oversight to the pastors. We work for them. And so when we sit around a table to make decisions, we say this, which comes out of a First Timothy model, that we are one among equals. So we are discerning the will of God together to make decisions about the future of the church. And so, but there's protection in that. So we need to fight for that. We need to make sure that government is good, the integrity and leadership, and we need to pray for these things. And this is, these are where we direct our prayers. If you want to transform a nation, pray for the leaders. Pray that God would change them and transform them. So what are we supposed to do about these structures? If we're going to live a life of prayer, then we need to become familiar with this scripture. And we'll be wrapping up here with this scripture here. Ezekiel 22:30. 30. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found who? No one. Question Here's the question today When God looks for someone to stand in the gap for the wall, will He find someone? What does it mean to stand in the gap? It means to pray, it means to uphold. So many times we're so frustrated at the, at the hole in the wall. There's a hole in the wall. There's a hole in the wall. There's a hole in the wall. Well, do something about it. Pray. Action. Move forward. I, the Institute of Marriage. I'm so mad. I'm so frustrated. Well, do something about it. Begin to pray. So, sometimes some of us can only pray. Some of us here have, have God's put us in position. We can influence things. Ezekiel thirteen three through five says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says: Woe to the foolish prophets! You, your prophets Israel are like jackals or foxes among ruins. I want you to just. There's a, there's a reason why I'm showing you this. You have not gone up to to the breaches in the wall to repair it for the people of Israel, so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. So even the prophets of Israel were not were not going up to the walls to prepare it. They weren't responding to to the need that was happening. So there's the question are we responding? Are we responding to the need in our own nation? The walls that are broken down. So why do foxes or jackals or animals, what let me ask you this, what do they do in ruins? Does anyone know? The Bible says, what does a rabbit do with a, in a pile of, of big rocks? He hibernates. He makes a home. He carries on with life. He doesn't, he doesn't see it as a problem. He just, okay, I'll just chill out. They don't see the ruins as a big deal. They just keep on living. I actually think this can be a, a picture of the church in our society, and I'll explain what I mean. Things are going crazy. Things are, are breaking down. We have good church meetings, and that's wonderful. We have worship times. We sense God's power. All this is nice, but this is not all we are to be and all we are to do. We're to make a difference in the world. We're to transform the nation that God has placed us in. We're to not just be a good church or have good meetings. We are to be a prophetic voice in society that calls out things that are wrong. That says no. That is not the best way. That is not the right way. That is a hole in the wall, and I'm not going to have it. I'm going to do something about it. We're coming to a day and age in our nation where, where no longer is is we we. Excuse me. <laughs> no longer are we going to just be able to just go to church and say that was a great church service and then not say anything else until the next Sunday. God's raising up a people who his fingerprint is on, his hand is on. He's putting us in positions to be like a roaring lion over this nation. And when things injustice happen and, and a corruption happens and all kinds of crazy stuff happens, we roar and we say something about it. That's called being courageous. It's called being a prophetic voice. A lot of the prophets, man, of the Old Testament, man, they said stuff in front of kings and into their faces that if anyone else said it, they would have been killed. Some of them were killed. But it was their job. Just like Ezekiel's talking here. Your prophets are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaches in the wall to repair it. You've just, you've, you've gone up to the wall and just accepted it as normal. We won't do that anymore because we're going to begin to make an influence to rebuild the walls, to intercede for our society. We as a nation have a high percentage of Christians you know that in America. We, we're a high percentages of Christians. And and the reality is society is terrible. It's corrupt. It's dysfunctional. And so I believe we need to pray for authority structures and society. We literally need to mend the walls by standing in the gap, praying. And being the prophetic voice, we need to pray that God would raise individuals up among us to be able to stand, to be in, to be in positions in in government, in politics, to be able to be the voice, the prophetic voice that God elevates, to be a Joseph, to be a Daniel, that begins to shape society. Our society, because of rebellion because of neglect, because of bad leadership, has broken down walls. Families, government, nations, and all the structures. Our job, my friends, is to wage warfare against those areas of influence, against those gates, those walls, to stand in the gap, to mend the wall, so the city, the nation, our families cannot be destroyed. So this is, this is a way to help us focus our prayers on things that are relevant to the problems and real issues in the world. The New Testament example of closing with this, Paul was writing to this young pastor, this young apostle who was charged to go and oversee a church or many churches to bring order, to teach, to bring instruction, to appoint leaders and elders. And because he was younger, he had some resistance So Paul wanted to encourage him. But he writes this to Timothy and and lays out priorities in the church. So he said, this is what you need to tell the church. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. I urge you then, first of all, everyone say first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Wow, think about that. First of all, pray. Pray petitions. In other words, figure out what's going on and and begin to pray specifically on different things. Not, first of all, get a really neat sign outside your church. Or first of all, make sure you have the best facility around because that'll really get them. First of all, make sure your web presence is really strong. First of all, Paul says, now, they didn't have any of those things back then, just in case you were wondering. But anyway, first of all, make prayers, petitions, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people. Okay, all people. For kings, say for kings, and say those in authority. Why? Why? Why would we do that? So that we may live peacefully in quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God. Our Savior. So the church's first priority, or I urge you, like, listen to me, Timothy. This is the most important. Listen to me. You need to pray. (laughs) You need to pray. Three things you need to pray for you need to pray for all people, you need to pray for everyone, pray for your community. When's the last time we gathered as a church to pray that God would bring the broken and the lost in that neighborhood to the, to the north and the south and the east and the west, that God would use us to touch their lives, to change them, that we pray for all people in the place that God has placed us. Not only go to everyone, with the gospel, but to pray for everyone that they would encounter the love of Jesus. Secondly, what's, what's most important is to pray for kings. In other words, rulers and leaders of nations like our president. Whether you like the, the, the um, outcome of yesterday or not, we're to pray. Some people are like, well, it's easy to pray because I wanted Trump. Woo, I'm going to pray. But you say, but if it was Clinton, I'm not going to pray for Clinton. And her attitude is just let her burn. Or it might be vice versa. But my friends, you're a follower of Jesus. You don't have an option. You've got to pray. When's the last time you sat down with your grandkids or your children and you say, let's, let's pray for dinner and then also I want, let's pray for the president? Let's pray for the mayor. Let's pray for your teacher. Let's pray for your pastor. Let's pray for your children's pastor. Let's pray for Start thinking through the, the if you listen man, if you want to have an impact on your in your kids and your family, start praying for those who are leading them. Husbands, give, let your children see so you lay your hands on your on your wife and pray Proverbs 31 over her. God bless her. God, thank you that I found a a, a woman who's greater than rubies. And all the women say, Amen. Begin to pray, infuse life. Close up those doors and and gaps or holes that the enemy has been working in her, in her own mind, in her own. Begin to cover her. And then, mom, stand up, or a grandpa, or grandma, and pray for the husband. Pray for him. Let your children see. You're repairing walls. You're keeping each other accountable. You're being the prophetic voice into each other's lives. And thirdly, we're to pray for all who are in authority. And that's what we've covered already. All people, our leaders, and all who are in authority. You might be thinking, yeah, but Jason, I want you to tell me something about me tonight. This is about others. There's defensive, our, our thoughts that we talked about, our words, our emotions, our relationships. Those are us. We're defensive. We got to protect those, make sure we forgive. But there's offensive. Let's aggressively move forward and transform. Let me encourage you. I'm not asking you because I'm one of the pastors here, but um, pray for us, pastors. We, we need your prayers. We need you to pray for us. Pray for our elders. You may not know who they are, um, but we're working on, on making them more visible and more a part of the life of the body. Pray for them. And I promise you, we're praying for you. And let's begin to. If you if you want to if you think man my church should be better, then pray for the leaders. An email, or sorry, a letter that you don't sign doesn't help us. I'm just being honest with you. But a an honest word to us about something you see and that's filled with grace, and you pray for us. You you, you know what our heart is. That you would fulfill your purpose and call in Jesus Christ. Do you know that we, what we understand we're going to have to do one day is stand before God and give an account on the decisions we made that affected you? The words that we said that impacted you, that equipped you, that led you, that helped you be what God wants you to be. So let me encourage you. Let's as a church pray for those who are leading us, who are ruling us, from our nation down to our Sunday school teachers, to your boss to your husband, to your wife. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.